It's great to be with you this morning. Um, <clears throat> before I get started, I want to mention uh, another special couple that's with us this morning. We mentioned the Leonards here to start uh, their important work with our children's ministry. But uh, I also uh, want to mention that Tom and Sandra Sibley are here with us this morning. And they're sitting right back here. And they're in from Croatia. Uh, and those of you who are newer will not know them, but have perhaps heard their names. Um, Tom was actually in my role here at Southside years ago. Not that long ago, long, but, but a while back. And, um, and so, and then felt the call of the Lord uh, to Croatia and to work there in the Bible Institute and with the churches there in Zagreb and uh, we have been connected with, with them and their ministry there. It's been such an important uh, part of what we do at Southside, and it's had a great influence on our kids as we've taken our youth group over there. And, and so we're excited that Tom and Sandra are here with us today. And I know those of you who've been around here a while will want to say hi to them. Um, I'm going to have to just jump right in. To this text. I've got a lot to talk about today, and uh, those upstairs, they get a little annoyed with me if I go too long, so I don't, ha- I don't have enough time to share some cute story or funny illustration here at the outset. So uh, go ahead and open up your notebooks, get your pens out. We got a lot to, to take notes on today as uh, we jump into this text. Um, right in here to uh, really kind of part two of our study of what scholars call the house codes. And we have three examples of these codes in the New Testament. We have one in Colossians 3, and then in 1 Peter 3, and then here in Ephesians 5 and 6. And last week, we looked at the first part uh, and the relationship between husbands and wives And today we're going to look at the second part and the relationship between parents and children and masters and slaves. Now, uh, in Greco-Roman society, these were the three primary relationships in the home, and therefore these relationships were commonly addressed uh, in the house codes. And so as I have spent um, the last couple of weeks studying and thinking about this text, Here's the big takeaway for me. The big takeaway is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ not only redefines my relationship with God, but it also redefines my relationship with every other person in my life. You follow me? Let me say that again. The gospel of Jesus Christ not only redefines my relationship with God, but it also redefines my relationship with every other person in my life. And Paul shows with his version of the house codes just how the gospel redefines these three primary relationships in the home. Look, I've talked a lot about, um, as we've studied through Ephesians here this year, uh, but the, the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. And I, I just cannot stress enough the difference between these two people groups. 
There was a vast difference in culture and what they ate and what they wore, how they lived, how they worshiped. For these two groups to be in relationship with one another was going to be very, very difficult. So when I say that it would have been easier to have just formed two separate churches, a Jewish church and a Gentile church, I really mean that. I cannot emphasize that enough. Yet for Paul, the will of God, he tells us, was to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10. And so forming two separate churches was not an option for Paul. The two drastically different people groups were going to be able to be the church together only because the gospel was going to redefine their relationships. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, For Jesus, for he himself, is our peace. And he has made the two people groups, Jew and Gentile, one by destroying the barrier between them through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So do you hear what Paul's saying there in Ephesians chapter 2? The gospel has redefined the relationship between Jew and Gentile. And it's the only way that unity is going to happen in the church in Ephesus. And the same is true in our homes. The only way for there to be unity in our homes is for the gospel to redefine our relationships. Now, we saw last week how the gospel redefines the relationship between husband and wife. Because of the gospel, the husband leads not as a ruler, but as a lover. And the wife submits not because of his position over her as a ruler, but because of his relationship with her as a lover. You see how the gospel redefines that relationship? Look, Jesus Christ didn't come and say, everyone submit to me because I'm the son of God. That's positional leadership, and that's not what he did. Instead, he came and gave himself up for us. And Paul says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And so the gospel we saw last week redefines the relationship between husband and wife. This week, we're going to look at the other two relationships in the home. First, let's look at the relationship between parents and children. Now, to be able to hear and apply this text appropriately, it's very helpful to be familiar with uh, the patriarchal structure of the ancient world. The father was the patriarch. William Barclay was a 20th century Scottish theologian who wrote a very uh, popular commentary series on the Bible, and he wrote this about the patriarch of the Roman house. 
He wrote, a Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell his children as slaves. He could make them work in his fields and chains. He could take the law into his own hands and punish them as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his own child. So the non-Christian Greco-Roman house code said, children, obey your parents. In this society, children were to be obedient, and that was the end of it. If there was a reason given for a child's obedience, it was because the father said so. He was the patriarch. He had absolute power and control over his child. The father used his positional authority to control the child and force them to obey. However, because the gospel we're learning redefines the relationships, all of our relationships, the gospel also redefines the relationship between parent and child. And so Paul's house codes were different. First of all, Paul begins by addressing the children, which was striking to the hearer. The house codes never addressed the children. They were written by patriarchs to patriarchs about how a patriarch should run their house. But Paul here addresses the child. You see, he gives children both value and also gives them a voice in the home. And instead of children obey your parents because the father says so, or children obey your parents because of his position of authority over you, he actually gives them three very beautiful reasons to obey your parents. Let's look at these three first. He says in verse 1, children, obey your parents because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's, it's for this is right. You, you see, there's a rightness about it. If you just stop and think about it, there's a, there's a, there's a rightness about it. It's, it's, this, it's, it's the standard right behavior even among animal species out in the wild. But especially for humans, it's been the standard right behavior for every society throughout every generation. It's just the right thing to do. Is that there's kind of part of that natural law. It just makes sense. It's the right thing to do. Second, he says, children, obey your parents because it's the best thing to do. This is in verses 2 and 3. It's the best thing to do. After all, he says, it was one of the top ten commandments. It was part of God's heart for his people. And Paul points out that it was the first commandment with a promise. 
Listen to the promise. Honor your parents so that your life may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on earth. You see, I think this is an important principle. Paul chooses to emphasize obedience for children with a promise that good things will happen instead of a threat that bad things will happen. It's not obey or else. Instead, Paul points the child to the blessing of an obedient life. There's great blessing. He he helps them have a vision of what an obedient life will bring. There's great blessings to be had. There's long life. There's good life found in obedience. So it's the best thing to do. And then third, he says, children, obey your parents because it's the Jesus thing to do. There's a little phrase there in verse 1, in the Lord. And by using that little phrase, he's pointing them to their relationship with Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that Jesus obeyed both his earthly parents and his heavenly father. We have example after example in the Gospels of Jesus' obedience So children are to obey their parents because they're in the Lord, because they're following in the way of Jesus. And so these three incredible reasons for for children to obey, Paul speaking to these children, it's the right thing to do, it's the best thing to do, and it's the Jesus thing to do. Each reason better than obey your father because he said so. Then, in verse 4, Paul addresses the parents. Now, first of all, this word that you see in your Bibles that's translated fathers can be translated as parents. Um, You'll see this a lot with the word brothers, and brothers can often be translated as brothers and sisters. Same here. Fathers can be translated as fathers and mothers. And so this, this instruction here is to parents, both father and, and mother alike. And what we see here in this one verse is that there's both a negative and a positive command, the parents. Now look at what he does here. It's important to note. With the negative command Paul places restriction on the parent's authority. And then with the positive command, Paul gives instruction about the parent's responsibility. So he restricts their authority and he instructs their responsibility. The negative command or the restriction on the parent's authority is do not exacerbate Parate, that's a hard word. I didn't know what was getting ready to come out, but it wasn't exasperate initially. Um, Do not exasperate your children. Another version says, do not provoke your children to anger. Literally, it reads, do not make your children perpetually angry. So with this restriction... That Paul 
places on the parent's authority. Paul's giving the child a voice. Because parents misuse and abuse their authority. Pastor Timothy Keller uh, describes what this abuse of parental authority looks like. Here's what he says. He says it's excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, in all sorts of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Paul says that this type of behavior provokes the child to anger. And so what we find out in this instruction, this one verse that's so important, is that anger is what is at the heart of the problem between the parent-child relationship. It's anger. Children get angry when parents abuse their authority. At the same time, parents get angry when they feel like their children disrespect their authority. It's just kind of a back and forth problem. So Paul places a restriction on the parent's authority because it's too often abused and misused. And instead, he gives instruction about the parent's responsibility. Parents have been given by God, Paul tells us, the kingdom responsibility to bring up their children in the training and teaching of the Lord. Parents, I hope you see here how the gospel of Jesus Christ redefines our relationship with our children. Paul places restriction on our authority over our children and gives instruction on our responsibility for our children. Instead of emphasizing the parents' positional authority over their children, Paul chooses to emphasize the parents' kingdom responsibility for their children. And with this positive command or this instruction to the parents, we see the words here is to bring them up in the discipline, in the training, in the instruction, in the teaching of the Lord. You know, this word uh, that's translated bring them up is a word that means to bring your child into adulthood with great care and purpose. Wow. And Paul says this is to be done through the training and the teaching of the Lord. When you look at the ancient purpose of parenting, it was to control your children and to force your way upon them. If you look at the modern purpose of parenting, it's to coddle your children and to allow them to find their own way. 
The Christian purpose of parenting is to bring up your children and to train and to teach your children the way of Christ. Parents, this is your kingdom responsibility. And the gospel redefines the parent-child relationship. Now, the other primary relationship in the home that we're going to look at is the one uh, here that was during this time uh, is the one between slaves and masters. And once again, what we learned here is that the gospel redefines this relationship. Historians uh, have estimated that in the Roman Empire, there were some 60 million slaves. Approximately one out of every three people was a slave. Uh, One theologian uh, puts it this way, states that Paul could no more have envisioned a world without slavery than we could envision a world without electricity. Because when you read this, you're kind of like, why didn't Paul write something about abolishing slavery? But but let let me say this just to be clear. Slavery is degrading during any time period in history. The Christian must condemn slavery in every form. It's never right to own another person, ever. However, it must be stated here that this was not the same as the slavery that existed in America. This slavery was not based on race or skin color. It was not for a lifetime. The slave's social status was the same as the master's. People sold themselves into slavery in order to guarantee work for themselves. Yet even with that said, it's still remarkable that Paul would choose to address the slaves at all in the house codes. Paul chooses to treat them like people. By simply addressing the slaves, he places value on the lowest position in the home, and he gives them a voice. And the thing that stands out to me the most about his address to uh, the slaves is the Christ-centeredness of the instruction. In each of the four verses, Jesus Christ is mentioned. And because I've, I've never been in the position of a slave, uh, here's the application for me. Paul's writing this text to a people who are experiencing the worst and the lowest positional circumstances possible. So whether I'm being mistreated as the low man on the totem pole at work or being taken advantage of as a student in a very competitive university setting, no matter what difficult position I might find myself in, 
I can be encouraged to not allow my circumstances to, dis- to, to, to determine how I respond, but instead to allow Christ to determine my response. The one who took the very nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Christ calls me to have a servant attitude. Christ calls those who follow him to have a servant attitude. And to have a servant attitude is a high calling. In verses 5 through 7, Paul gives four characteristics of what this kind of attitude looks like. No matter what your circumstances may be, no matter the, 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 the difficulty of the position or the lowliness of the position, he calls all followers to the same attitude of service. And he defines, he gives characteristics, four characteristics in these verses of what this servant attitude looks like. First, he says, in verse 5, is you show respect. You show respect. He says that you obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling, that's a very uh, common phrase for Paul to use in his letters, and it, it, it means great respect. So whenever we find ourselves in a position under someone else, whether that's at work, whether that's on campus, whatever that might be, we're going to show respect. We're going to have a servant attitude. Second, we're going to give everything we have. I love this phrase in the NRSV. He says that we're going to obey in singleness of heart. Love that phrase. There's a phrase we've been using at our house with our kids. We use this term, laser focus. We've had to focus in on some things like the ACT and some other things at our home. And so we've used that where we've had to to kind of focus in singularly, right? There's got to be a singleness singleness of heart. There's got to be a laser focus. We got to give it everything we have. You know, in athletics, as a coach, we tell our players to give 110%, and that's the same thing. There's a singleness of heart. We're just going to give everything we have. Third, verse 6, we're going to have integrity. Literally, verse 6 reads, not offering eye service. In other words, we're not just going to act a certain way when we're being watched. We're not going to just act a certain way only when it counts. We're going to act a certain way all the time. And so we're going to have integrity. And then lastly, another great phrase in verse 7 is we're going to be enthusiastic. We're going to render service with enthusiasm. I love that, man. We're going to be cheerful. We're going to be passionate. We're going to, we're going to be energetic. It's not going to be reluctant. It's not going to be begrudgingly. We're going to be enthusiastic. And so think about this with me. You show up to your difficult position at work and a boss that just doesn't understand. 
or to your demanding professor over at school and to, to a, a professor that doesn't appreciate the amount of time or the amount of effort or the amount of energy that you, that you give. Or maybe it's a coach. Maybe you're an athlete and it's a coach that doesn't see you or chooses to bring others up over you for playing time and that sort of thing, and you just wrestle with all of that. Paul says to you, show respect. Give everything. Have integrity. Be enthusiastic. Paul says, slaves... Allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to redefine your relationship with those who are in position over you. And then, in verse 9, and perhaps the most striking of all the verses in Paul's house codes, is his instruction to the masters. It's his instruction to those who find themselves in that higher position. He writes in verse 9, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Did I read that right? Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. In other words, masters, have the same servant attitude that I just talked about. Show respect. Give everything. Have integrity. Be enthusiastic. This is unbelievable. Paul says, masters, apply the golden rule to your relationship with your slaves. Treat them in the exact same way you want to be treated. Become servant leaders. Do not ever expect them to treat you in a way that you do not first treat them. Masters, allow the gospel to redefine your relationship in the same way. Instead of thinking of yourself as having positional respect, Think of your relationship as one of mutual respect. Gospel of Jesus Christ not only redefines our relationship with God, but it also redefines my relationship with every other person in my life. That's the truth. That's the power of the gospel that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. Did you, did you know that power of the gospel? Are you familiar with it? Jesus didn't come just to change the status of our relationship with the Father. He came to change the status of all of our relationships with one another. 
Jesus Christ is the one and only husband who loves the church and gave himself up for her. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ is the one and only son who obeyed the father so that many sons and daughters may be brought up in the Lord. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ is the one and only master who made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the gospel. And you see, when you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it redefines all of your relationships. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. I pray that there, it's in the gospel that we find power to transform life transform relationships. Paul knew that the gospel, the power of the gospel was the only way that Jews and Gentiles could come together and be the church. The cross had to break down walls and years of hostility between those two people groups. It's only by the power of the gospel. Lord, the same's true in our homes, same's true in our marriages and our relationships with our children. Lord, I, I pray that the reality of the gospel will transform us, will redefine how we do relationships, will bring unity in our homes and unity in our churches. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you have never responded to the good news, the good news that you've heard presented this morning that Jesus came because he loved you, he came and he gave his life for you. If you've never responded to that, if you've never placed your faith in him and said, I want to be yours. We'd love to be a part of that this morning. You can submit your life to him. You can place your faith in Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. We'd love to be part of baptizing you into Jesus. Uh, But whatever the need might be this morning, let's stand together and sing. Make me a servant.